Coming to you from the Golden State, this is the Art for Everyone podcast. Bringing art back to the people, one episode at a time. And bringing you compelling guest interviews with inspirational artists. And now your hosts, professional artist and owner of Carini Arts, Michael Carini, and real estate guru, Vinny Enriquez. Hi, everyone. Uh, we are the Art for Everyone podcast, where you have one artist, one person that really doesn't know a lot about art. He brings his art friends uh, to the podcast. I learn a little bit while Michael chimes in and gets his insight, too. So thank you guys for being here today. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Today, we're going to have Carly Rector of Neon Mob, and we'll tell you all about that in just a second. But first, I have to give a shout out to our sponsors who make this possible. I would love for you to check out Canvi.com. It is my favorite staging app for my art. You can go to Canvi.com backslash Karimi to try Canvi Pro 30 days absolutely free. And our other sponsor today is Neon Mob, who is also our guest. And so, Carly, let me give you a chance to introduce yourself and tell us about you and about Neon Mob. Yeah, um, I'm the leader CEO of Neon Mob, which is a digital art trading card game. Um, it's a place where artists can come in and basically create their own virtual card sets of their art. And then people come in and can collect and trade them for free. Um, but they can also purchase paid packs for rare cards and other bonuses. And artists are paid royalties based on that. So I like to say it's like the free to play model for artists. So it's a way to artists to share their work that people can view and collect for free, but they can also make money off of it from people who are really invested in collecting it. And it really adds a new element to artwork too, because we can make paintings, things like that. But sometimes it's like, well, we make a painting. What can we do with it beyond this? But now you brought it into the gaming world. So there's a whole new aspect to it and a lot more fun. Yeah, and especially for digital artists where they don't really have a physical thing to just sell to people um, and are maybe sharing it online already on their social media. It's like, what do people pay for? They can pay for prints, but they're not making that much money off of it. How do artists really, without having to put a huge amount of like extra effort into it, monetize their work, especially digital stuff. But even for physical people, if they could create digital versions, there's people who maybe don't want the physical object who can still collect and trade and enjoy it. And artists can get some benefit from that. Well, I know something we were talking about beforehand, right? The NFTs, right? Because looking at your website, looking at Instagram, and that was the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, okay, NFTs, this is, you're, you're basically getting a card. It's the only one in the collection. But it doesn't sound like you, you can get multiple of the same card, right? Correct. Yeah. It's not necessarily the only one. There's a limited number of cards. You get one of a certain print number. So you might have card number like 100 of 1,000 or something like that. Like it's a, a physical number. Um, it's not NFTs in the sense that we don't use blockchain or cryptocurrency or any of that. Um, I could talk a little bit more about that. I don't think it's necessary basically as a technology to do this. So you all of it is just traditional in Neon Mob on the database. We keep track of what art, what art you own. Um, like any game where you would have assets in the game that you own and you collect them and you trade with them with each other within the, the context of the game. Um, there's also a technology that I developed actually before I acquired Neon Mob, which is a different way of making unique digital art that's sort of portable, that's not NFTs. So where, while NFTs, you have sort of the proof of ownership decentralized, distributed on a blockchain, 
Um, with my technology cosine, you have a signature in the metadata of the file itself. So you can just sort of take your art file wherever you want. And it proves that you bought it in some way in and is a unique digital file in that sense. Um, so it's kind of related to NFTs in the sense that it's spiritually the same of it's a way for digital artists to sell unique copies of their work, um, but it's not crypto or blockchain related at all. So what, I mean, and I, it like something that we talk about, we've talked a lot in this thing where it's like people buy off emotion, right? With the artwork, right? I mean, Michael, you talk about it, right? People see your emotion, they buy off it, they have it up on their wall, things like that. With, with your platform, is it mostly like people have it on their phone or are they just, hey, I'm going to sit back and relax on my iPad and look at what I've collected or what's what's like the usual user look like, I guess? Yeah, people play it on their phone. They also play it online. Um, the sort of main aspect is opening packs. You have a certain you have one basically free pack an hour that you can open and then you open it and you see what cards you get and you can open a certain number from each series a day. So you have to collect across multiple artists and you sort of build up your collection. And some of the stuff that we're hoping to do more going forward is building out more of the sort of curating and displaying your collection and doing cool stuff with it um, and customizing how, how you can display it, how you can show it off and integrating with more like display surfaces. Like maybe you can just have your neon mob favorites as your t TV screensaver or any of the sort of phone background or the, any of the digital surfaces where you just might want to have art that you are collecting. And there's not really a way to digitally collect stuff easily right now. So that's sort of our vision is to be a digital art collection that you can then use in all of your digital places <laughs> that you might want art. And you've got a lot of people playing this already because I know on your site, it shows the number of packs opened and it's a lot. How many people are playing right now? Um, we have around like five to 10,000 active users of total. We have around like 50,000 total um, th that are not necessarily playing actively. Um, but yeah, and then we have about a little over 10,000 artists have made series on Neon Mob over time. Some of those are amateur and are not like paid royalties. Um, you can either do an amateur set just for fun if you're just a sort of hobbyist artist, or you can do a, a pro series, which is paid royalties, um, just because it's fun to put together. Um, so yeah. It's a so for our listeners, does that mean that any artist could potentially create their own cards or, or how would Correct. that work yes. for them? Like anyone can go to Neon Mob right now and start building your own set right now um, as an amateur series. You could also submit a pitch to do a pro series. You basically upload an image with your concept and the community will vote on it. And if people get excited about it, then it gets automatically as a pro, as a, as a pro series. Um, we also do a lot of recruiting artists, obviously like you, um, externally to come in and just build pro series. Um, but anyone can come in and do it if they want. So. And I guess that's a good time to drop the announcement because I had mentioned a little while back on social media that I had something in the works and was going to be having some digital trading cards available. But I, I guess now is the time that <laughs> it is in the works that I am going to be one of the artists. We are working on a collection of my work right now. So we will be dropping a teaser of that on one of our Instagram posts for the podcast, but that will be coming soon. So you will be able to collect my cards very soon. Yes, we're very excited about it. <laughs> so, okay, so with, going back to, to, to the NFT stuff, right? So we were talking before, was it the drunken monkey thing or what was it? What was it? Uh, board Apes. Board Apes, <laughs> board Apes. So wasn't it, was it Board Apes or one of those that basically you had to buy one? It wasn't Board Apes, it was somebody else. But that you had to buy it to be part of this like million dollar like group or something like that. Yeah, it's Board Ape Yacht Club is the full okay, name of it. So, so it's similar. And a lot of the NFTs do use that, especially the ones that have more quote unquote utility. They're basically like your your 
membership uh, certificate to a club. And Board Apes, at the height of the NFT craze, were selling for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, but I like to think of it as like Board Apes, and I mean, digital art or even art in general is, to some extent, you're buying the social clout of owning it. Um, yeah. And that's really especially true with NFTs, which is in the NFT community or like in Board Ape Yacht Club in particular, like you're a member of the community if you buy it and therefore you're buying your way in and you're buying that. Or even with other NFTs, it's like, I am an owner of this. It says I am on the blockchain and that's meaningful to some people. Um, and I think you can argue about how much that actually means anything. And obviously to some people it does and some people it doesn't. Um. <laughs> Weren't you going to do, Michael, that if people buy your... Uh your cards that they get access to your OnlyFans page? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm open to the creative marketing, but I mean, I, I did myself dabble in the NFT world in a sense. So I actually did what's called physical NFTs. And a lot of times they were paired with augmented reality. So the way that it would work is it was blockchain NFTs, but we would create an experience, like an augmented reality experience of like my painting uh, metamorphosizing or something of that nature. And we would put a chip on the back of the painting. And when you would scan the painting, it would read the chip and then activate this immersive experience. So it was kind of fun. So I never did just the traditional NFT where it's just the digital, but I did kind of move into that realm for a brief period of time to explore that. And, you know, uh, we are in such a digital age that mm -hmm. it would be foolish of me to discount that or the possibility yeah. of moving into that realm because we are immersed and surrounded by technology. We're moving into a time of AI art. So I think that artists at least need to think about these things and ways to work them into their artistic journeys. Yeah, like for sure we're in a digital age and I think there's tons of cool stuff you could do with sort of digital physical integrations. And obviously a lot of that is some of the stuff that I want to start doing with Neon Mob. Um, when it comes to like NFTs and blockchain specifically, I actually am a software engineer by history. I worked at Amazon for 13 years or so. Um, and from a technical perspective, I don't think it's necessary. I think it makes it overly complicated to have the blockchain involved almost all of the time. Sometimes it makes sense. Like for your really true like blue chip things where you really need to have like that distributed certificate of authenticity that is unfalsifiable. Um, you can, I can see the argument for it, but for a lot of stuff, it's like, well, you don't really need that part of it. Um, you can still do it. Like in some extent you could just be, have like a hyperlink right on the back of your painting. And that takes you to a website and then the blockchain part is not really necessary. So well, it's, I think it's more about the, I mean, it seems like it's more about the social media aspect, I mean, social aspect of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, like what's attached to it? What do I like? How can I show people that I'm important, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's what I was saying is like what you're buying with it is sort of the, the social clout and the social proof of owning yeah. it. And again, I think that's something that you can do in other ways and can do with, say, Neon Mob. It's like I, I own this thing on Neon Mob. That means it's something to everyone who's participating in Neon Mob, whereas I own this thing on the blockchain. It may, means something to people who are in the NFT community and care about, about a lot. I own this on, on it says I own it on the, the Ethereum blockchain or whatever. Um, do, you, do you plan on bringing like a social element to it? Like I saw that you you were in cosplay, right? You just you do cosplay? Yeah, I do cosplay, yeah. <laughs> so like I mean, bringing some kind of like social aspect of it, either with the cosplay community or other communities where Neon Mob is kind of connected with that, or is that a plan or? 
I think there's a lot of cool stuff. Like there's already social to some extent, like we have a discord server. Um, it is trading is a big aspect of it. So you chat with people yeah. on the site and try and trade art back and forth, stuff like that. Um, I think there's a lot more stuff they can do, especially like collabs with other like properties or social communities. Like you can imagine you release a neon mob set that's exclusive to your event or to some, um, to like another game, a, a game or something like that, where you can collect things and get bonuses if you participate in something else. Or like, there's a lot of things that you can do. Like, again, if you're thinking of it as it's just a digital art collection, how would you loop in any sort of art aspect to it, but do it digitally, so. And I want to go back to something you were talking about because we were talking about the social aspect of collecting digital art. And I, that is something I actually hadn't thought about for artists that do exclusively create digitally is that they can create prints, which is something that I do as a fine artist. But I think that I always miss out on the fact that there's not really an original in a sense that there mm -hmm. is for an acrylic painting. And then also the, the social aspect of it because... I think that a lot of times in terms of collecting fine art, like acrylic paintings like my own, a lot of it is that social aspect. Because you look at a painting and you're like, well, what's the real value of that? And it's just what somebody's willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people, big collectors, will collect as a means of a, a status symbol to be like, oh, I have one of so-and-so's works and one of so-and-so's works. Like the banana that sold for so yeah. many thousands of dollars, stuff like that. It's a status thing more than the value of the actual artwork. I think that's the third episode in a row we've talked about the banana. Maybe four. <laughs> See, but it gets attention. Yeah. You know? It's something that people know and it provides context to things. Yeah, and it's like art in general is like it's worth what people value it, right? Like it's not you're not buying a, a canvas with some paint on it. That's it's, that's not the physical value of it. It's like the sort of emotional value and the artistic value and what people value, and that can happen digitally too. There's just not like a great mechanism for that right now is how I think about it. Cause it's not like you can go, if you, if you like a piece of digital art worth $10,000, like I would go buy this if it was a $10,000 original acrylic painting. There's no way to do that right now. Like there's no, no, nothing that makes sense to buy for $10,000 if it's a piece of digital art um, sense in whatever sense that people are thinking about it. Um, so that's kind of the angle that I want to take on it and why I think of it as like free to free to play per art where like a free-to-play game where you can spend a whole lot if you really want to get all of the cool things in the game um, and otherwise you don't have to you can experience the art but if you really like it you can spend a whole lot on it um, and giving that sort of avenue for digital artists to make more money the more people like their work which just doesn't really exist right now so <laughs> so with neon mob in the more exclusive limited edition type cards what type of price points are we looking at for those what do those rank yeah so right now it's like i said it's not really buying individual pieces of art. It's a trading card game. So people will buy packs, which don't actually cost very much. It's like um, five, $7 for some of the, even the higher ones. Um, but it basically is a pack of six cards that gives you slightly better odds of getting rare cards. So in some of the bigger sets where you have like legendary cards, which are very rare, or um, the ones that are particularly limited, people will, will be more incentivized to buy the packs of rare cards. And so it's sort of the, the randomizedness of it means either you have to put a lot of effort into it, like trading and stuff like that, or you can pay more money. Um, and sort of the, the in-game in economics of it are something we pay a lot of attention to and have done some changes to recently to sort of incentivize more of that purchasing. Um, we also want to and plan over the next few months or so to expand more into like 
add-on features at the end. So it's like, I own this piece, piece and maybe I want to sign it, uh, co-sign it using our technology, or I want it to have like a cool frame and therefore I will buy that sort of digital um, upgrade to it. And that will also pay artist royalties and stuff like that, so. Okay. And so as a trading card game, it, like because you mentioned that you buy a pack, essentially, you can't guarantee that you're going to get the card you want. Yep. Say you find somebody else playing the game, they have the card you want. Can you buy that card from them and can they set the price for that? Yeah, not currently. We don't currently have any sort of marketplace like that. We've discussed it a lot. And one of the things, the reasons that we don't have it right now is because we've gotten a lot of feedback that that makes it much more of a an, less fun game and a less artistic game. Because a lot, a lot of the fun of it is, I like this piece of art. You don't actually care about that piece of art. I'll trade you this one for that one. And like, it's all about what you personally value the art that you're trying to collect. And therefore gotcha. you can come up with a trade that seems mutually beneficial because it's about how much you like it. Whereas if you had like a market value on each of the cards, it's like, well, I'm losing, I'm losing money by doing this trade and becomes less, less fun, I think. So yeah, we already have to worry too much about money these days, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, it probably, I mean, it sounds like it'd probably be good for like young adults or kids, right? Like if you have a parent that, you want them to get into the art industry or liking art, right? You buy them yeah. a pack or two packs of cards and then go oh, try to trade it for other cards that you like better or something like that. Yeah, and I mean, it's free to play, so you can open a certain amount for free and you don't even have to pay any money at all if you don't want to. You can just keep playing it. And we do have people who, because Neon Mod has existed in some form. Like I mentioned, I acquired it last year, but it's existed since 2012. So people have been playing it for a long time. And we have a lot of people who, who are like, I've been playing Neon Mob since I was a kid, and now I am making my own set for the first, my own series of art for the first time and getting to see people collect it. And that's super exciting. And I love, I love seeing stuff like that. It's really cool. So. <laughs> and you mentioned that you're an artist yourself, that you have done some digital art, correct? A little bit. Um, I do some sketching. I've done some fan art. Um, I'm not big into it. I have a lot of friends who are a lot better at digital art than I am. But <laughs> Wait, is the background your art, Carly? It is not. No. Um, no, no, I mean the background. Michael, the background we have, is that Carly or no? That's uh, something that Neon Mob provided. Oh, gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. That's probably, okay. Yeah, the, the, the background is a bunch of um, cover art from some of the series that we have on Neon Mob. So. Oh, wow. Do you, is there... Um, is there ability to, I know, I know digital and I know maybe this is me being an old fogey or something like that. We're going, is there a way to, to, to print out the card so I can have the collection at home? Or is that like not really allowed? Um, I mean, it's all sort of personal use. So in the sense that you could print it out, print anything out for personal use, you could do that. Um, okay. we don't, Neon Mob did it in the past offer physical prints as sort of an integration and something we're definitely thinking about doing more in the future. It's not a huge focus because a lot of the feedback we get is like, I love having an art collection that I don't have to find space for in my house. And like people have tens of thousands yes. of cards and stuff like that. Um, and also with digital prints, again, it's like if you're paying what, like 20, $25 for a print, the artist is making like $3 from it. So it's not, it's not big. <laughs> Okay. And you brought up something huge there with the space issue because I was thinking earlier just today, I was like, you know, there are times that I wish that I was a digital artist because I'm looking at my paint racks. I'm looking at all the storage space. I think about moving my artwork all the times that it gets damaged, shuttling it back and forth. And sometimes I just wish that I had a computer or an iPad or something with all of it just right safely in there. 
I mean, but the digital art, I mean, like, like that painting right here, there you have right there, right? If I, I know you're joking about it, right? But <laughs> I mean, the cost of that painting right there will be drastically less than, but I guess that you'd save money on the paint. Well, I mean, it, it kind of comes down to how you market it because the truth is, is that in certain times and on certain pieces, yeah. I've made radically more money off of prints and licensing deals for certain pieces than I have off of the original. It kind of depends on the piece. So as an artist in building sustainability, it comes down to finding avenues and channels to market and sell your work. And sometimes that means secondary and passive sources of income. But a digital art, right? Let's say digital art. What's the, and maybe you would know, Carly. I don't know if you know, or Michael, I don't know. No. That's not NFTs, but just digital art. What's the most expensive piece that's ever sold? Yeah, well, the thing is, you don't just sell digital art like that is the thing. <laughs> there's not okay. really a way, way to do that right now. You were because there's no sense of I own this piece like you can own a license to it. Um, yeah. So you can like license it as a stock image or, so, or stock illustration or et cetera. Um, or you can sell NFTs, I guess, but it's or you can sell prints, but it's not like I own, I own this piece. Like that's what NFTs were pitching themselves as is gotcha. I own this digital piece, but it doesn't really mean that any more than anything else. So it's just like, what, what does it mean to own a piece of digital art? <laughs> yeah. And I think that was the big controversy because technically to officially own it, it's like, yes, it goes through the blockchain. You put it in your digital wallet, but like you were talking about a minute ago, how people can print things out for their personal use. Any one of us could essentially go online, see a picture of something, print it out and put it on our wall. I mean, it's something that I've had to deal with and it's a reality I've had to come to accept with my own work is that in theory, yeah, but you know, I, I don't want people necessarily doing that, but sometimes people will message me and be like, Hey, you know, I can't really afford anything, but I'm going through a really hard time. This piece means so much to me. Would you be okay if I just printed it out on paper and put it on my desk? And a lot of times I'll just be like, yeah, okay. But in theory, like Vinny, you could print out whatever you want to. Without so I can whatever I want, like even like a t I think I remember reading about this, like even for like a t-shirt, if I basically like an artist or like a logo of a baseball team or something like that, I can print it out and make whatever kind of t-shirt as long as I don't sell it. I mean, it's kind of like a gray area. I think, I think there yeah. are some legalities. Oh, there is. Yeah, yeah, it's, all, it's, like it's all about fair use and especially copyright and not trademark fair use stuff and like whether you're making money off of it is one criteria whether it's a replacement for anything that the copyright holder is actually selling is one criteria so yeah it's like it, it depends oh, <laughs> oh got you so if they have a t-shirt or like that already then i could be then, yeah it's it's more more troublesome um it's well, and Vinny, Look. it's interesting that you mentioned t-shirts too, because the shirt that I'm wearing right now is my most popular design. It says, please buy my art. I'm not built for OnlyFans. Yeah. Now, for anybody <laughs> listening, I actually am on OnlyFans, so it is a joke. But this is my most popular design. But if you Google this design, there are a lot of shops that pillaged my original design and are selling it online. A lot of shops based in China. And people are like, well, if it's really your design, you got to go after them legally. But yeah. when it comes to legal stuff, you're talking about time, money, and energy. Yeah. And when you're dealing with a shop or a company that is in another country, nothing is ever going to come of that. So I have to live with the reality that my most popular design has been pillaged, and some other people are probably making more money off of it than I am. And somebody called me out on it the other day. They're like, how do we know that you really created it? 
And if you go online and you look at some of these places that are selling, like I think it's on, I don't know what it's called, Alibaba Express or, or whatever that AliExpress, is. AliExpress, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's on there. My roommate pointed that out. She's like, this is a big thing like to, for it to be on here. But a lot of them just pulled my design directly from my shop. And it has my little Karini Arts stamp on it. And so a lot of these shops that are selling it, it still has the Karini Arts stamp on it. So I'm like, well, in those cases, at least they left that on. So at least my name is getting out there. And that brings me to the next point. So if you are going to buy one of Karini's uh, pieces through Alibaba, I have a code for that. I'm joking. Sorry. <laughs> so it was you that took it. Okay, so hey, Carl. Okay, what happens then? And I know you're not an attorney and all that kind of stuff. But what if, right? If let's say Vincent Van Gogh or something like that, right? And like you wanted to make a card off of that, the person's not around. I mean, I'm assuming does someone own the rights to the the style of the painting too? Like, I mean, can you probably artificially use his pieces, but have AI basically make another painting or something like that for a yeah. card? Or well, then you're getting into some AI copyright discussions. The whole long session we could get into, but yeah, okay. um, for for older artists in particular, there's some that is in public domain because copyright only lasts um, whatever 95 years or so. Like there's big news oh. recently that uh, Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse just went into public domain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're making a horror movie about that. <laughs> um, and a lot of they've. Copyright has been extended a lot lately. There's a lot of big debates about it, but we have, in fact, on, on Neon Mob, some public domain art series that are just like um, the Pomological Collection, which is a botanical botanical drawings of a bunch of fruits that people like a lot because it's a, a large series of things that were like commissioned by the US government from a bunch of artists just like fruits. Um, and there are 400 of them and you can get the legendary pineapple and it's a lot of fun. So there's some of those that exist on Neon Mob too. Um, and in general, public domain art, um, is something that's fair to use and people use that for a lot of stuff um for ex existing art that's copyright and whether you can use ai stuff we can get into that one if you want <laughs> well, so that's interesting because so you mentioned uh, public domain and like, we talked about steamboat willie so does that mean that like starry night and you may not know the answer to this but does that mean that like starry night is in public domain because you look at starry night and it's printed on anything and everything mm -hmm. by a number of people but i would always question well are the rights not maintained by maybe uh, someone within the family type of thing where there's yeah, a, there's a limit on it on how, how long copyright lasts. And like initially oh. it was a much shorter time. Um, looking into it a lot, it basically is meant to guarantee that artists and more, creators more generally can make money off their work for some period of time, but it was never meant to be indefinite. So, and it's become a lot more indefinite as corporations own copyrights and want to extend them as long as possible, especially Disney. Um, but it's definitely meant to be a, a time limited thing and not things that are locked up forever. Cause the idea is things should go into sort of the public zeitgeist at some point um, and not make it like, because this is now a, a thing that like other people can make art of derivative art and, and utilize and stuff like that um and there's always been that rule i believe of parody where if you modified mm -hmm. something like 10 percent or so and it's like when it comes to art how do you qualify yeah, like that's 10 percent of uh, a modification on something but th then it was fair use in that type of application yeah there's there's parody and there's sort of like um using it for commentary purposes and all of that is there's no hard rules around it if you, you can use it as, as a defense in court and a judge will decide basically so <laughs> yeah and that but, always comes back down to the time and money and energy type yeah. of thing and you know as artists a lot of times we're so busy doing our thing it's like who has time to chase somebody down 
Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the biggest things around AI that is interesting to me, too, which is there's some stuff that is very clear infringement, but it's done on such a scale and from such individual artists a lot of the time that it's like, who's going to chase them down for it? But then there was a New York Times lawsuit lately, so we'll see about that one. <laughs> and I think that that may come down to, like, if it's a blue chip artist that's represented by an elite gallery and their stuff yeah. is being stolen, then the gallery may kind of intervene with their resources and that might be taken more seriously than, you mm -hmm. know, John Smith on the street that comes out and says, oh, well, somebody stole my image type of thing. Because I've had yeah. people tell me that before. They're like, well, you know, if somebody's using your image for something like that, you got to make sure that you you fight for that. And I'm like, I got to pick my battles at this stage of my career. And there are some battles that just are not worth fighting. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a lot of that tension about copyright online. That happened with NFTs a lot too, where you saw a lot of artists being like, my art was stolen and put up as an NFT, and now I'm spending all my time like sending um, DMCA requests to OpenSea and not doing art because <laughs> it's stolen so often. And I fit, there's, yeah, it's a lot of problems that I think about a lot because it's happening a lot online right now. So, <laughs> Now, what is the current market on NFTs? Because I remember for... A little while it seemed like it was the hot thing it was trending but we were curious if it was going to last and i kind of from my outside perspective it seems like there was a big dip and yeah it definitely level popped um it's some people will tell you it's coming back a little bit right now i think especially in the art community and especially in the digital art community people are really negative on nfts and i don't think they're ever going to recover so <laughs> oh you don't think it will not from an not from an art artist perspective online, especially digital artists. So, the the sentiment towards NFTs, at least in the communities that I'm aware of, and I was actually talking to someone who is uh, one of the original artists for Magic: The Gathering um, this week, and she was like, "Yeah, it's like," and she was into NFTs for a while too, and she's like, "But it's like the sentiment is like 99 to 1 percent, like <laughs> negative to positive at this point." So, <laughs> well, and I have some negativity towards them, but my negativity is the fact that. I get inundated with constant inbox yeah. messages and, and comments of, hey, I'd like to buy your art, but as an NFT. And it's not real people. It's yeah, and part of it is just there's been so much scams. Like, there's a lot of reasons for it. And I could talk about some of the technical aspects of why I don't think they're, like, living up to their promises. But a lot of it is just it, there's been so much theft and scamming around it and taking advantage of artists that people are like, this is clearly not something that is good for us it's been a net negative so far <laughs> yeah it leaves a bad taste in your mouth i mean it's not necessarily in my case having to deal with the actual nft experience but it's just all the requests the fake requests for artwork that just consume so much of my time where it's like you know if one tenth of the requests that i got are, were legitimate requests to buy my art you know i'd be sitting pretty right now but i'm just gonna <laughs> half my day having to read messages of people saying they want to buy my art, but then on the backside, it's like, oh, I want to buy it as an NFT and I need you to do it this way and that way. And it's like, oh, I'm so tired of hearing about it. But just because of that, not because of anything having to do actually with NFTs, but just the spam associated with them. Yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of people who are just like, they scraped, they scraped my art off Instagram or on DeviantArt and I tossed it up as an NFT. And that and if OpenSea, which is sort of the big NFT marketplace, announced at one point that like, 80% of their NFTs were spam or fraud um, in relation to they were going to make a policy change, but they ended up rolling back. So there's just there's just a lot of that. And there's a lot of, um, I think there was some investigation around like the people who did the original like art for the Board Ape Yacht Club did not get paid a whole bunch because they were just commissioned to like create the assets up front and definitely did not make any of the hundreds of thousands of dollars that Board Apes were selling for and like that kind of stuff. So like 
there's some artists who've been very successful with it, but they're by far the minority, I think. So, <laughs> and it's kind of like artists in the fine art world, the artists making the money, it's the top 1% that are making the vast majority of the money. So when you hear about like, oh, well, the art market made this much money this year, it is like the top 1% making 99% of that money. Yeah, and that's sort of one of the things about NFTs for me is that it is very much a top 1% thing where it even makes sense to be useful because the pitch of blockchain is it's basically, it's a ledger. It, it records transfers of ownership so you know that you're owned, you have the original and because it got transferred to you from transferred to, from someone that was transferred from the artist. But only really the top 1% of art ever has any secondary sales at all because people don't like buy paintings and then sell them unless it's a really, really blue chip artist. So it doesn't, make it doesn't actually offer you anything the only thing that matters is like the first step of am i buying it from this, the artist and the blockchain doesn't actually help with that you need some sort of verification process at that point so well wasn't there too like i'm and i know we're we're we're, we're killing this nft idea but <laughs> um i remember reading about it where they're talking about that you can get residuals off every time it sells nft yeah, that was one of the pitches too, and almost all of the marketplaces have gotten rid of that at this point um, because because oh, they got undercut by other marketplaces that did it first. Basically, like if you say, "Okay, on any sales, we'll pay one percent artist royalties," and there's some other marketplace that says um, we won't, then the people who are selling it will not or buying want, don't want to pay that extra money and will go to the place where they can get it for one percent cheaper, um, um, which I think is really disappointing. But it is like that's one of those things where the pitch of nfts is it's built in but it was it was not actually built in like none of the nft smart contracts actually like guaranteed royalties that was something that OpenSea just sort of bolted on top and in a regular web web two way um so that wasn't actually a an nft innovation in any way it was just something that they could do and then they stopped so <laughs> and one of the and this is the last thing that that i have that i wanted to cover about it but one of the things that kind of blows my mind and really surprised me personally was I think of digital art and I'm like, okay, like digital art, you're not wasting a lot of materials. You're kind of being eco-friendly. And then I heard that with NFTs, they were leaving a huge carbon footprint and it blew my, I was like, wait, how could it leave a huge carbon footprint? And yeah. then I learned about how the powering of the servers and the amount of power that is required, that that's what it was. And so that was just something that I had never thought of. I would have thought that it would have been like, yeah. I was like, oh, well, you know, it's just a digital thing it's not going to really impact the environment. And then I learned that and it is. Yeah, that's better now, at least because Ethereum has shifted the sort of their their proof system from proof of work to proof of stake. That was a big backlash, like one of the early backlashes from artists against NFTs was one artist who did like light sculptures, I think, um, was like, I've been trying to get the energy use of my studio down because I think he does a bunch of light sculptures and have been doing great but then i did an nft release and it actually used as much energy as my whole studio does in two years um and that's by design because the way proof of work works basically is the way that people who are participating in the blockchain prove that they're not just like bots or people trying to manipulate it is just by doing a whole bunch of computing work um and so they're doing work just for the purposes of proving that they have the computing power to do that. And there are a real entity that can do that much work. And there are other ways to prove that you can participate sort of in the, the um, collaborative system of blockchain that are less expensive, but that is what Ethereum used at the time that NFT started. And it's what Bit Bitcoin still uses. So if you look at the energy use of Bitcoin sometime, it's insane, Most more than many countries. <laughs> the, uh, 
You've seen, uh, you guys seen the Ready Player One? I read the book. My favorite. I love that movie. That's one of my favorite movies. I haven't I seen somewhere. it. I know the general outline. But but... <laughs> I saw somewhere they're, they're trying to build that right now. Like a real like, Ready Player One you can kind of like jump in with. I mean, isn't that what Meta's trying to do with their Metaverse? Yeah, that's the quote-unquote Metaverse. Um. <laughs> but, I mean, man, that's going to – so how do you think when people actually, I guess, take on the Metaverse and kind of get to that point? I mean, Neo Mob, I guess, is taking the next level? Or are you, is that kind of like aspirations or like that? Or Yeah, I think the Metaverse is an interesting topic too. And I think Meta's Metaverse shows a lot of what – doesn't work in the sense of the metaverse needs to have something to do and some social connections and like virtual worlds in games are much more metaverses than meta's metaverse which is just like a vr world where you can go sit in a conference room with people <laughs> um there's things like uh second life existed for a long time roblox is actually or fortnite even um do a lot better at like being virtual worlds where you go hang out like Fortnite hosts concerts from like big music artists where you just like go hang out in Fortnite and, and do a real concert and that kind of stuff. Um, and that's the idea. And I think there's stuff's going to happen there. It needs to be around like actual experiences that are fun and games and stuff like that, I think. But I do think the way Neon Mob ties in at some point is, again, I think you need to have a collection of digital art because you're going to have more and more of these sort of digital spaces. And even not talking about like metaverse 3D virtual reality. Like you have a banner on your Twitter profile of your art or you like customize your your profile on whatever other site such that you have a background of things that you like or you have your user pick that is commissioned from an artist or whatever, all of that kind of stuff where you're using art across all of your like digital spaces in some sense. And I think Yanmov and Cosign and Verification can do, again, what NFTs were pitching they could do, which is have some sort of verifiability of being like, yes, this art is my Twitter banner, but it's not just that I downloaded it and then and, and threw it up here. It's actually like a verified purchase. I paid the artist for this. Um, and again, that means something to some people who are like, oh, that's really cool art. And you actually like paid the artist and supported the artist. And that's cool to see. Um, so I think that's the d direction that I want to go sort of more in the future. And that's a direction that I think needs to be done in the future as things are more and more digital and people are hanging out online in whatever sense more and more. So. And so, do you see new opportunities opening up for digital artists that maybe weren't there in the past couple of years? Like when I think of digital arts, I mean, I think of graphic design and stuff like that. Like it's always provided avenues for artists, but do you see it kind of moving in different directions or opening up new doors? Yeah. I mean, I think tons of, I hope, I hope it does like commercially. It definitely is from a creative perspective. Um, like you can do digital painting. I don't know if you've tried like procreate on an iPad, which is a super amazing experience for like creating art. Um, so and they also procreate 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 is the name okay. of the, the profile is, is the name of the program. And it's like $10. You have to buy an iPad though. So it's like when one of the high end iPads, so that's the expensive part of it. Um, but you have like, can do touch gestures and do painting and like double tap to undo and like do real painting with like real br brushes. And it's a really natural experience. And people have done a lot of cool stuff in procreate. Um, and I played so with it a little bit and a lot of fun. IPad, so. though, once you have the iPad and you have the program, are there any additional expenses or is it like you're basically set to yep. create infinite works from that? Yep, that's right. Um, and there's some other programs like uh, obviously like Photoshop and Clip Studio that are more subscription based. And that's why also why Procreate is quite popular because it's just an upfront cost. Um, but the user experience is also just great with the with the touch screen and the stylus and, and the Apple Pencil. 
Uh, and I think there's a lot more stuff than that. They actually just released um, an animation program for Procreate that makes it like super easy to do. Well, not super easy. They have, they're missing a lot of features I hear, I hear in the initial version, but is going to make it a lot super easy to do like animations and stuff like that. I think there's tons of stuff that make it easier for individual artists to do some really cool stuff digitally. Um, and I think- um, $10 to get Procreate. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to Michael, your uh, artwork that you said two forty last time for, for the bundles, it was uh, what was it? It was like a hundred and seven and two forty or something like that for yeah a four ounce ten dollars right here to do digital art. Well, yeah, and I think that that's a good point too because sometimes uh, as a young artist, as a parent that has maybe a child that's interested in the arts, you think about material costs, and that does give them an avenue that one, it's not going to make a mess. And two, it's like, okay, well, they are going to be unlocking infinite possibilities with mm -hmm. this expense right and here because there's a good chance that they may already have an iPad. And then you add a program like yeah. that, and it's like, okay, there's something to occupy and your time and practice. Really young artists do really amazing digital art that you can see sometimes. Like, it's like, I'm 19, and this I made this in Procreate. And it's like, are you serious? <laughs> um, and there's a lot of cool stuff. The other super interesting sort of recent thing that I like is actually like, VTubers and live 2D stuff, which is building 3D models. Um, I have a friend who actually makes a lot of assets for VTubers of like, here's a microphone with some flowers around it, or here's some like backdrops, or here's your character that you can then animate and move and stuff like that. Um, VTubers are like, they either have eye tracking or you wear stuff so that you can like be a character that is animated with your motions as you do like live streams or something like that. So uh -huh. there's, there's a lot of stuff where people will build those kind of characters and that kind of assets. And I think they're like- Is it mostly anime? Of, it's mostly anime stuff like that, yeah. Um, and people will like sell VTuber assets on Etsy or whatever like that. And I think a lot of new and cool stuff like that is coming up. And I hope more of it will be sort of commercially viable and make, make artists some money. But there's definitely a lot of more and more cool stuff that people can do digitally, just like artistically. <laughs> what, what's you your go-to cosplay? Oh, sorry, what you No, go ahead, Vinny. What's your go-to cosplay, Carly? Huh. Um, the one I wear the most, or the one that I'm most proud of is my um, Lilith from Borderlands costume, um, because that one I did a lot of actually, like, I made a foam wig that I painted to do the sort of like very 3D cell shaded style, um, which was a lot of fun, so. <laughs> what would be your Michael, if you if you did cosplay? I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, I, I'm so, in the like just in the zone for my one medium and like my one means of creativity that sometimes i don't get out of the box as much as i would like to to explore other mediums and things like that because cosplay i mean it's absolutely an art i mean i've seen some incredible things i mean and we're okay. blessed to be here in san diego Vinny, where we have comic-con come here and yeah. see some of the incredible yeah. costumes people come up with every the single year and i mean some of them are movie quality there was an anime convention or, or or something like that that happened in um, uh, it was in Mission Valley by Hotel Circle or something like that. My mom was driving by. She goes, I don't know, is there another uh, is Comic Con going on right now? And I had to Google it, see what's going on. It was like some anime <laughs> convention that we were dressing up for. But it's people put some time in that stuff. It's yeah, pretty, pretty it's, awesome. it can be a lot of work. Like you can do it casually, and you can also do it much more professionally than I do. And I've been doing it for like more than a decade and have some pretty nice costumes, but I'm not up to the level of some, the, the, that some people are doing it at, so. Do, do you think, I mean, talking about what we're talking about like Second Life or things like that, I mean, 
how many people do you think would actually use their own avatar compared to actually making a yeah that's the thing I, like i mean i'm biased because i'm from the sort of like anime vtuber community online but i think it's a lot more fun to come up with a character or come up with a presentation that is just you can do artistically whatever you want with it rather than just like a representation of yourself in 3d which again is i think a meta's metaverse problem it's like people don't actually want to just like be themselves in 3d with no legs and go sit in a conference room or like bowl or whatever they want to do something that cannot be done in real life um so that is more you, like <laughs> more fun and expressive like i mean because I, I know michael we've talked we talked about it where i mean he does a lot of his stuff for social media right and and his shirts off and things like that right but he, he's usually wearing his shirt when you're at his house just talking to him right so it, it's his it's his kind of cosplay personality i think a little bit when he's doing <laughs> this stuff. when you're in your kind of like cosplay are you a different person um <laughs> To some extent, yeah, I don't do go into it that much, but I do think VTubers are really interesting from that perspective in the sense of like anyone who has to market themselves online, but especially like YouTubers or people who have to sell their personality, have to build like a personality that they are marketing online, right? Like it's exaggerated and it's a little bit like fictionalized because they don't want to put like fully themselves online. But if VTubers are something where you can literally just like come up with another character that is not you, to be your your personality is even like your live streaming video games or whatever, um, then it both gives you a lot less like my entire personal life is on the internet dangers and like gives you more freedom of expression of what you do with it creatively, which I think is cool, so. <laughs> That's so true because I find that with what I do, it's like I try to be honest and very candid about who I am on social media. But sometimes I have to turn the volume up a little bit so that it's like taking it from a level two to like a level eight or nine or ten because you have to have a certain energy to be able to get people's attention and whatnot. And you have to be able to engage with people and capture their attention and whatnot. But yeah. I think what you mentioned of being able to create your own character could be so fun too because it's like you could then project all the things that you want to from a certain level of safety and division from your actual personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, the tough part has to be right. I mean, like, if you know how we like, I mean, I really think that, well, I know most people, we weigh ourselves against people on social media, right? You see pictures and that kind of say, oh my gosh, that person's always traveling or that person <laughs> has a great life or whatever. And I would, that has to be even harder to gauge yourself against someone else that's like in cosplay because, I mean, you're dolling yourself up or you're making yourself look that much better or like that. And you're an outgoing personality. That's be even. Yeah. Well, I think knowing that it's because obviously VTubers are like straight up anime and you, you can tell it's not a real person. It's, it's, a, it's an animated oh, okay, thing. Okay. So um, knowing that it's fictional and knowing knowing that this is a character, like people intellectually know that I think people's personalities on social media are not quite them, but it's not really the same thing. So yeah, yeah. in fact, it may be better and healthier because it's like, OK, well, sometimes on Instagram or Facebook, we see these things from influencers or whatnot and, and we make those comparisons because we're like well this very much feels like a real person this is a real person whereas if it's more of a fantasy thing there's an understanding that it is a fantasy thing mm -hmm. yeah. yeah now what are the best platforms you feel for the digital because when it comes to fine art we know about instagram we know about facebook now there's threads but are there different platforms that are kind of more for an audience of digital art. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of threads lately about like what's the best place for digital artists online and there's not a lot of great consensus right now. Um, Twitter used to be good, not anymore. Instagram used to be good, the people are 
talking about it not being great anymore. Threads like here is actually have getting some tr some traction. Um, people like there's some more like portfolio sites like ArtStation, um, which does um, mostly like game industry portfolios and stuff like that. Um, but they got a lot of backlash recently for supporting AI art a lot. And there was a big protest where people uploaded anti-AI um, images. Um, so people are not like, there's a lot of disillusionment going around in the online art community right now. And I think people are really looking for like a better place to be, so. <laughs> so it's kind of a diverse in terms of the platforms people go to and like looking for a home these days. Yeah. I used to love my favorite platform like, from all these years is still Tumblr. I loved, loved, loved Tumblr. My audience, yeah. my largest audience is on Tumblr. Now, not many people or not as many people use it anymore. Uh, yeah. Basically, once, well, it was Yahoo that bought it, mm -hmm. I think. Once Yahoo bought it and they started making the changes and limiting what people could post and whatnot, I noticed it go down dramatically. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely went down. I think it's been coming up a lot lately, especially with Twitter killing itself. Um, so Tumblr is definitely on the list of, in some of these threads, people are like, Tumblr actually is where I am at now. So I think people are using it a little bit more, but. Um, what about Pinterest? That Pinterest, was yeah. No? no, not a fan? Um, Pinterest has a lot of backlash in the art community for unattributed art, because basically like you pin something and then it, or people will just like, I found this on Pinterest and not attribute the artist. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting you mentioned, uh, and that's a very, it makes sense when one platform kind of starts to dissipate that those people then may shift back to some platforms that had slowed for a little while. So I had never really thought about that, but it, it makes sense that people might start to shift to some of these other platforms that slowed for a little while because, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I've noticed recently that Twitter is just uh, <laughs> a no man's land lately. Like it's just nonsense there. It makes no sense. I've seen kind of a rise in threads. And one of the things that I like about threads is that it kind of feels like Twitter used to feel. But if you have a following on Instagram and you open a threads account, people mm -hmm. can automatically follow you. So I was able to kind of build an audience on threads pretty fast. Like my audience on threads is way bigger than my audience on Twitter, which I've been working on for like 12 years. But so within a couple months, I have a larger audience on threads than I do for 12 years on Twitter. So even though they've lost, uh, I think their what their value is, they lost a lot on Twitter or X, whatever, right? The one thing nice that that's that's uh, where they actually uh, dissect if it's a real thing or what's the background on it, like that's a kind of a cool feature that they've recently done or last six months. Yeah, the, the community notes thing, I think. Yeah, community notes. Yeah, I think that's really good for like fact checking and stuff like that. Um, I'm curious. Michael, how do you decide when to post on Instagram versus threads when you have both? <laughs> so honestly, this is my strategy and, and I kind of need to reevaluate my strategy because I feel like my strategy has not been working for me. So what I used to do is I would be like, okay, these are the things I need to post today. And I'm going to post it on all my platforms. I'm going to post it on Facebook, Instagram, threads, Twitter, Tumblr, LinkedIn, Pinterest. And I kind of had to step back and realize that that could be good because in theory you feel like you're reaching more people or you know you may have audience that is coming from one platform or another but people may if they follow you on multiple platforms may start to see the same things over and over again and be like oh well, i don't need to follow them on all these platforms and so i had to start kind of looking at the platforms for what their main focus is and what their benefits are 
So now I'm sometimes taking like image posts or text or things like that and posting them to one platform, but not necessarily to another. But I'm kind of having this divide because I feel like, oh, you know, am I missing out by not posting it on everything? So I'm kind of trying to figure out the social media thing right now. But I am kind of being a little more conscientious about what I feel each platform's benefits are and trying mm-hmm. to work to the benefits of those platforms. Like with Twitter, the one positive of that is because I am now on OnlyFans and I'm trying to figure that out because my page is primarily arts, but it is um, – it's not adult in nature, but it's a little more provocative than what I post on Facebook and Instagram. And the reason that I opened it was because I kept getting flagged and suspended on Facebook and Instagram for doing like body paint shoots. And like last week we had a body painter on who's done stuff for Disney and has a Netflix show. And she mentioned that she gets flagged all the time too. So I love that I was able to find a platform that was a little bit safer. And Twitter is one of the only platforms that allows you to actively tag and post stuff that's only fans related. So that's kind of what I'm using Twitter for a lot right now. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it comes to digital arts, there is such a spectrum because and I, I think with the art world in general too, but like you have stuff ranging from kids making art to animated stuff of an adult nature. And we're actually going to have the person that created our logo coming on, on a future episode who does cartoons. She does animation she does caricatures, but she also does some stuff that is more of an adult realm. So mm-hmm. it, it's interesting how uh, digital art it can kind of span that entire spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I have a lot of respect for digital art. I think a lot of people are like, well, it's just people drawing like furries on DeviantArt or whatever, and like naked anime girls. And like, obviously there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of that in any, any venue that you go into, but like, it's just a medium that is the same as any other art medium. <laughs> Um, maybe more accessible than some because it doesn't have a, a huge entry costs. Um, but I think you can c- create basically like the same thing that you could with any other medium. So <laughs> wait, so there's a uh, you said so the anime the furries too. Lisa, yeah, <laughs> I, I was anime? talking to, to someone recently about um, who was very anti digital art and being like, well, the it's not real art; it's just like the deviant art furry crowd or whatever. I'm like, it's I, I mean, thought first of all, first of all the first, yeah, that too, that too, but they do a lot of art also. And that, actually, oh, the furries wow. apparently are, are very big art commissioners. I was going to say, I actually have a lot of respect for the the, the, for the DeviantArt furry community because they will pay a lot a lot of money for art, for art of their characters that they come up with and stuff like that. So I think that dismissal is not fair and there's a lot going on there, but also that there's a lot of like real artistic talent in the digital world. So... <laughs> That, well, that's a, that's a because I mean that ooh, that's that's crazy. So I mean, oh, I may have to tap into a new market, Vinny. <laughs> no, but I'm just thinking. I'm like, I always thought that like furries were like the people that that wore the costumes uh, for that. But then I guess I mean I guess they could maybe they probably have art too, and and they're so called furry porn. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, even, even not porn, even like I came up with this cool, this is my fursona. This is my, my wolf character that I identify with and I want someone to draw it for me. Like, um. oh yeah, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm mean, looking to create opportunities for creatives there. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're known for being very good commissioners in the art community, I think. So, <laughs> I mean, I got to support anybody that supports the arts because what I've been running into this past year in particular is that the economy got hit 
and then being in San Diego, we've been named the most expensive city in the United States. And so what I noticed is that kind of across the board, people oh, one stopped. of the most expensive. I think we I read one thing or saw one thing on the news that we got moved to number one. Now, I don't know what the criteria of that was, <laughs> but we did get moved to number one for most expensive. But uh, the art market has been very rough this year for galleries, for artists. I mean, if there's artists out there that are successful and, and moving a lot of stuff this year, I mean, congratulations. And maybe I got to figure out what you're doing, but it, it, it's been rough. So I've got to really appreciate anybody that is continuing to support the arts because I feel like we live in a world right now where we need art more than ever. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's getting harder and harder more than ever for artists to find that sustainability because yeah. I built my model off of minimal overhead. Like I paid off my student loans 10 years early with the money I made off my art. I drive an old car that's paid off. I don't do credit cards. I live a very simple life and I found a way to make it work. But the cost of living has doubled, tripled over the past couple years even. And so it's getting harder and harder to live this life and to maintain this. Yeah. And to bring it back around a little bit, it's like, I do think there are a lot of people, especially online, who do like art and want to support artists even financially and have the money to do so and struggle to find the avenue to do it. And that's kind of a lot of what I want to do with Neon Mob is like, these are people who are like, I'm online and I'm doing stuff. And instead of just scrolling through Instagram and liking artists stuff and not giving them any money because there's not really any easy way to do that unless I like want to buy a physical thing which I don't really they can play a game where they can spend money when they want to and that can go to the artists and sort of give that more monetary expression of, of appreciation for the artist and I hope to expand that and become more of more of that in the future too so <laughs> what's what's like I mean I know I, I brought up the idea of the younger generation or whatever but what I mean in your perspective What's the demographic? What's the age group that's mostly on Neomob? Yeah, it's a lot of older millennials or Gen X um, currently, especially because it's been online for a long time. But we're trying to get younger people on. We actually had one person um, comment lately about like joined through one of our artists who's like 50 and was like, well, I didn't know what was going on. And then I heard about this from um, Amy Brown and I joined it. But it, this is really cool and I'm having a lot of fun. So I think it can it can span generations to some extent, but we definitely want to focus a lot on sort of the digital generation that's already used to, I follow all my artists online and I love them and I just like want a place to support them better. So, and maybe already play like collecting games that exist um, and want to be spending my money on cool random pulls on something that is supporting artists versus just like, like a random character. I was pleasantly surprised when I heard about your primary demographic because when I first started talking to Neon Mob, I was thinking, I'm like, well, you know, I'm definitely interested in this, but I don't know that my audience is really going to be the audience that would play this. And I was like, well, my audience is predominantly women, 35 to 55. And then I was told that's your demographic largely. And I'm like, oh, really? You know, I was thinking that it was going to be on the younger side. So I think that it, it just it's a positive sign that the, the next generation is going to follow in tow with the digital because younger generations all about the digital but it, it was a, a very positive sign for me and yeah. it may be a new way for my primary demographic to find my work so mm -hmm. with the card collections that you have how easy is it for people to collect the cards and then make the connection of who the artist is and go find them on social media 
Uh, yeah, all of them have like the byline for the artist. You can click through and see the artist's profile and have the link to all their socials. And in a lot of cases, the artist will also link to like stores where you can go buy their prints or something or things like that. Um, so we try and make it super easy to connect back to the artist and even get more of their stuff. And in some cases, like use it as a promotional mechanism to get more exposure for something that they're doing to a new audience, because there's obviously a lot of people in the Mob who otherwise wouldn't want to see it. Just like this is a cool series. Oh, the, and I know a lot of people have been like, oh, I hadn't heard of this artist before and I saw it. And then I actually like went to their site and bought a piece that I really loved. So I think it can do a lot of that sort of promotional angle as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely unique because in the art world, there are so many artists out there and I always say that other artists aren't my competition, but there's a lot of artists out there. And sometimes the, the way to get attention is to stand out or to be doing something different. And this is definitely a unique way to be able to promote and market your artwork. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a cool way to bring a bunch of people who love art together and expose them to other artists. Cause obviously we have some big artists on the platform who are bringing people in. We have some smaller artists on the platform who are like, the 300 people who are collecting my series is more people than I've ever had interested in my art. And this is awesome because people will spread their attention around like all of the artists. And you can only open like three, three packs of a series a day for free. So you have to look at the other ones um, and really people getting to explore more and getting to explore more in a fun way, I think is the, the big thing where it's like, you're not just scrolling Instagram, you're getting to actually like interact and open packs and trade with people and like decide what your favorites are and like do play some strategic like gameplay um, such that you're engaging with it in an active way versus just like passive consumption on social media, which I think That's is true. cool. So. And, and with what you just said, so you may sign up because there's a particular artist that you're interested in but when you get your packs, you may learn about other artists mm -hmm. and vice versa. So in participating as an artist, you could be introducing people to your work that came on to find maybe a different artist. Yep, for sure. And that happens a lot. So <laughs> what what if you had to choose a, a style of art, right, that you like the most compared to a style of art that you like the least? What would it be, Carly? <laughs> Oh gosh. Um, yeah, and you can't choose uh, Michael's as the one you like the least, please. Uh, I'm a big fan of watercolors. I think people can do really cool things with watercolors. Um, I digitally, there's a lot of, there's so much cool stuff. <laughs> um, trying to think. Um, Is there a style that you don't really, you don't really care for? Paintings of apples. <laughs> um, that's a good question. There's a, like, maybe I'm biased by the AI stuff lately, but there's, there's a very sort of highly rendered digital art look that AI tends towards that becomes, that looks very AI now to me oh, and yeah. is kind of off-putting. So, which is sad because I also know that there are some artists who like genuinely did stuff about style and now they get a bunch of like, is this AI? Which is disappointing, but it's just, there's been so much of that lately and it's so samey all the time that it becomes a little bit like, eh. <laughs> and I feel bad for the artists that did actually create that because the amount of time they probably put into it versus yeah. <laughs> an AI program. And so we will get into to AI in a minute, but I, I just want to say something about watercolor real quick because you mentioned that. And there is just something so delicate about watercolor that is absolutely beautiful. And so I, I agree. Watercolor is definitely up there in terms of... Michael, no one would uh, put uh, delicate 
and Karini in the same sentence. <laughs> no, I definitely have some delicate works and, and some minimalistic works. And that kind of goes back to my time studying uh, scroll painting, ancient scroll painting. The time and energy spent studying, mastering the techniques and to be able to capture the essence of a story in like a singular stroke, there, mm -hmm. there's great beauty to that. And that's been something that I have very much uh, put into my work. And, and yeah, uh, I, I love the, like Sumier style stuff is really cool. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And so when I do works like that nowadays and people are like, oh, well, it's like a singular stroke. There was no effort there. But it goes kind of back to Picasso and the bar and the comments of like it, it took me so many years to learn to master the technique to be able to do it that quickly and to learn to be able to let go and to walk away. And so me personally, I'm an artist that is very technical and I was classically trained and I can paint anything that I want. So for me to be able to capture a story in like a singular stroke and walk away, that's a very difficult thing for me to do. And so the challenge is, is for me on a personal level as well. And so, I, you know, I, I just find great beauty in that type of work. And then I also mm -hmm. have great appreciation for Middle Eastern patterns and tessellations. Uh, that's another big influence of my oh, yeah. work. So people that go and look at my work, if you kind of backtrack, there are a lot of historical influences that I could point out to different things, and it kind of starts to make the story make sense. Hmm. But I did want to talk before we leave uh, a little bit more about AI art because we covered it briefly, but I kind of want to get a little bit more into that because I feel like people have backed off a little bit on just the absolute disdain for it because I noticed there was just absolute disdain from I feel like the majority of artists at first, but I've found more artists defending it lately really? than there were before and talking about how it opens up the channels of creativity and may provide uh, opportunities for artists that maybe aren't uh, as physically abled or it may help with bridging the gaps when trying to think of creative ideas and whatnot because it can help you to kind of work things out kind of like a sketching process type of thing mm -hmm. how do you feel about that and yeah i think i mean i to some extent i agree with both of those things in the sense that i think in theory it could be a really cool tool in the sense that a lot of the digital art creation tools that already exist can be cool tools like having undo is a great benefit for artists having some of like co content aware like tools in photoshop can allow you to do cool things like there's a lot of like automatic things in clip studio that are cool I think the chal big challenge and the big backlash that I still see a lot in the art community versus it is how the models that currently exist were trained. Um, yeah. Because basically they scraped art from the internet with no permission whatsoever. And jumbled signatures. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it will sometimes replicate artist signatures. You can see like the Getty Images logo in the generated one stuff. There's been, I've been seeing a lot of stuff on lately about like just generating basically like almost film stills from like big Marvel movies even and like replicating stuff directly from its training data set and there's not really a whole lot of insight into how often it's doing that right now like you can notice well this is clearly Luigi or whatever where people are posting a lot but if it's like a smaller artist whose stuff is in the data set then no one's going to recognize it if it just outputs something that's almost exactly that, basically, and then just uses it. So there's a lot of like, is it fair to even like take the art and train it in the first place? Is that copyright infringement? Like I said, there's some lawsuits around that. And then there's the question of when it generates stuff, how do you know that it's not just replicating something that some artist already created that was in the training data set and you don't, is the answer to that question. So I feel like the challenge with 
stable diffusion or any of those like big models right now is that they have those training data sets that were just collected from the internet and there's not really any um, attribution to it. And I think that's the big problem that a lot of artists are having with it right now. So. And it's already hard enough as an artist to like, if you want to do this full time, it's hard enough to make a living doing this. And with the current state state of the economy and kind of the flood of AI images, do you feel like it is impacting the earning potential of artists? Oh, it for sure. It for sure is. Um, I've seen some artists like anecdotally even being like the company that I was working for is now using all art for their con concept designs. And so I didn't get rehired like directly that oh. kind of stuff. Um, but I think also you can see a lot in more of the sort of like production jobs, especially the graphic design type things that you were talking about, where it's like they just companies, especially with ones that don't have a high bar to start with and are just like, I need some creative for this ad or whatever. They're not going to continue to hire artists if they can get something that's good enough out of AI. And that's already starting to happen. And I think it'll continue happening. And they're needs to be some some change to how it's done or it's going to have some really bad negative impacts on artists i think so <laughs> yeah i'm curious about that because i don't want to accuse anybody of being lazy but you have artists that are trained that put their heart their soul into their work there's a thought process there's technical aspects there's an entire process that goes into that and then you may have somebody that say that person got fired, someone that works for a company and just says, okay, well, we got this program. I just plug in these words and this suggestion and it kind of does it. And so again, I don't want to accuse anybody of being lazy, but in, in a sense, it's like you have this hardworking artist that is trained and has these processes. And then you have this person that just plugs in words and are, are we making this artist that puts the heart and soul into it? Are we making that obsolete? Yeah, I don't know if it's obsolete. I think some people view them as obsolete and that's gonna be difficult. I also think that there's gonna be a big backlash that from that from the consumer side. Cause like you can already see, like I was saying, people recognize the AI art style and can look at something from uh, like, I think some, something's from SAG-AFTRA. They had a tweet lately where they posted an, an image that everyone was just like, this is clearly AI art, like just at a glance. Cause you can see that. eight fingers on it. <laughs> um, well, no, but it had the sort of like blurring in, into the, of elements into other elements that you could see and just like the highly rendered digital art style I was talking about. So like people already, people who are online a lot already recognize just like the AI style. And unless you're really working on it, you're it's gonna come up with the sort of very middle of the road because obviously like AI is training for the majority use case. Um, so it all ends up looking very similar and people are gonna start recognizing that and getting bored with it very fast because there's creativity is more appealing, just like fun fundamentally. But I think it's going to take a while before the people who are in charge of allocating money to this in big companies realize that. So um, I think it's going to be rough for a little bit, at least. <laughs> one of the things I've seen that I was not expecting is sometimes when I'm on Facebook or Instagram, I'll see posts on fitness pages or celebrity pages. And it almost looks like a real image, but it's AI. So I'm concerned about. Uh, yeah, there's, there's all of the deep fake stuff is like yeah. really, really scary. <laughs> well, isn't there like models like that that are AI models? I thought I read somewhere that there's AI models selling products. I think I've heard that too. Yeah, there's there's companies that will sell you that will create a like, like an AI sit, like male model for your for your you or an AI salesperson, etc. There's like three even 3D generated like video ones that are not really great yet, but they like basically can generate realistic looking people that are 
AI. Um, and like, there's a whole separate conversation around that. Um, on the, the deep fake, this is making images of real people non-consensually side um, and like fault, false news and all of that. Like there's ton, tons of stuff there that I think it's can be really scary. <laughs> I've always seen this happen though, where once technology gets going, it never really seems to be halted. It's kind of always just ahead. Like digital art came around and I remember at, at a time and maybe even still, I, I don't know. But for a time, I remember hearing the backlash of like, oh, digital art, it's not real art. And then yeah. from digital art, we went to filters and whatnot. And then like the next logical step from there was AI. So I like once you open Pandora's box, I don't feel like you can close it. I feel like we're going to keep moving forward. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think to some extent, yeah. But to some extent, like we live in a society and we can make some choices and have some regulations and have some like standards that we come up with to help guide things in the direction that we want it to go. If we think the way that it's going is really harmful for people, like that's a thing that we can and have done in, in the past. So um, I think that's something that we need to consider a lot, especially with a lot of the, the more harmful aspects of AI is that we really can't just be like, well, it's the progress of the future. It's like, no, like just because something is new does not mean that it is good. And the whole point of it is supposed to be generating benefits for humanity and society and artists and the people who are consuming this. And if it's not doing that, then we should figure out how to make it do that and not just be like, well, this is how it goes. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely the hope. I mean, I, <laughs> and hopefully we don't get vetoed by Skynet. We say, we say AI, is done. <laughs> AI decides that it is indeed not done. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, Vinny, do you find uh, any of this moving into the realm of like, when you are selling a home, are there any elements of digital art that work their way into that? Like I know that like a lot of times stagings are just done digitally. Like can oh, be all, all, all my listings are that are vacant done um, digitally staged. Okay. And they're good. I mean, the people, it'd take about 40, shoot, 24 hours like that to get back to me and basically stage the whole house. So like they, do they photoshop they, it and, and like yeah so they put they, they input the the furniture all stuff like i'll give them basically the the original picture and then i'll basically tell them what kind of style of furniture i want what room it's going to be for and they basically send me back the picture uh, of that room and i can have multiple pictures in that room and they it's basically different angles of the furniture and everything like that so and then they can also take away stuff that's in the picture and i mean it's I got yelled at actually. Someone came to one of my listings once, and they're like, "This house looks nothing like it. It's fully staged." This, and I was like, "Yeah, I saw, I saw, I saw, and a very bad AI staging. I'm sure there are models that can do it better, but I saw a very bad AI staging where it was like the scale was off, like the the oh, the, yeah. the, the couch looked like about three feet tall, and like a fireplace would just appear out of nowhere, and like the windows went away, and it's like, no, no, this is can't do that." <laughs> Now, this one, yeah, this one was it's it's pretty good. It's a company I've I've used shoot for the last probably two years now, but yeah, it's um, yeah, pretty good. I mean, technology is just, is out of control now. Yeah. Well, I remember for a long time, one of the things that I really wanted to do was more art stagings, like when homes were being sold, to kind of put my art in there. Like one of my mm -hmm. galleries in the Gaslamp Sparks Gallery, at one point there was a home they were somebody was trying to sell in Coronado, and they 
actually took my painting and put it in there and it was going to be sold with the home. So if somebody bought the home at that time, the painting was going to be part of the deal. And like, I was going to get my full commission percentage. Like I would love to work with more commercial real estate and with homes and work mm -hmm. more of those deals. And I wanted to just get my art in nice environments where I could get good photos of it. So I wanted to work with more realtors and more people in the real estate industry. But we have moved into a time where so often most of these stagings these days, like Vinny mentioned, are done digitally. And like that's what can be is essentially they have a series of rooms and you can import your artwork. You can scale it up. You can scale it down. You can put a frame on it. You can move it around. You can put pieces next to it. You can change the colors of the furniture. I love it as a marketing tool for selling my work because I can provide context of what a piece looks like in a home. But uh, I mean, yeah, we've just come a long way from the days of uh, you have to actually physically take the piece, put it on the wall, hang it. You got to properly light it. You got to get the photographs. Oh, the photographs came back. Remember before digital cameras? It was like, <laughs> the picture is good. There, there was a company that I, I interviewed on the my other podcast, Roger Growth. That they actually uh, worked with some basketball team. I heard it was, but they did a. Um, you could digitally stage your own man cave, so you built out your man cave, and whoever had the best man cave won. I think ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, like it's, yeah, it's out there. So I think the the real lesson is that it, it definitely provides opportunities and potential, and I think the digital arts are absolutely a valid medium. So anybody that tries to tell you like, Oh, this is a valid medium. This is, it's all a valid medium. It's a matter of how you want to express yourself and whatever works for you. Totally. Okay. But also if you're not a digital artist, there are a lot of opportunities through the digital art world to market and promote your art for building sustainability for your personal model. And so uh, look into those, look into the, the different ways that you can market, you can promote your work, look into neon mob. Now, Carly, we're, Tell us a little bit more about where people can find Neon Mob and kind of how to get started with that. Sure, yeah. Um, we are neonmob.com, Neon Mob on the Apple and uh, Android app stores, and basically all social media is Neon Mob also. Um, if you want to, if you're an artist who has some work that you are interested in putting a set together, you can just email us at support.neonmob.com um, and start a conversation. We would love to get more artists involved. Um, and if you would like to start collecting, it's free. Uh, you can go start playing it now and try it out and see what it's like. <laughs> and what socials should people check you out on? Um, I think we're, we're also working on our social media strategy right now and haven't been posting very actively lately. Um, but we're definitely on Twitter and Instagram most actively. We're also on Tumblr. Um, we're going to hopefully start posting on threads more. Um, You're on Facebook too, right? We're on Facebook too. Yeah. Facebook actually has a, a fairly big community because that's, pre-existed a long time <laughs> so yeah, i tagged you before this episode and i think it said something like fifty-two thousand followers i'm like oh they got a big following there yeah are, are um, you on myspace <laughs> no not that i know <laughs> of. we have a like i mentioned i acquired the company this year so we actually have a bunch of social profiles from like ancient ago where it's like did do you know this exists? Like, don't have the password anymore. Sorry. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you know what? It's sometimes it's good to just leave that stuff up and active because with search engine optimization and whatnot, sometimes I'll Google myself and I'll see these obsolete platforms that I no longer use, but I'll have things pop up and I'm like, well, hey, you know, it's still doing me some work by, you know, mm -hmm. planting the seeds. So, well, I, well, we were talking about stuff and I, I looked up Pinterest. My account got closed. So it's a sad moment in my life. Well, it's funny because you mentioned Pinterest earlier today and Lana mentioned that last week. So I actually posted a few more times on Pinterest this week and I looked at my analytics 
And I noticed that my analytics are, are actually pretty decent on Pinterest in relation to my other platforms. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's what I've been missing. Maybe I've been steering. Like, I don't think I fully understand Pinterest and how it works. I kind of do, but not completely. And the one platform I have never been able to wrap my head around is Reddit. I do not understand <laughs> that in the slightest. I think it's more of theories and like reading stuff, right? I mean, like you're like, oh, here's a theory about something. Because like uh, my cousin will send me like Reddit stuff, and he'd be like, oh my gosh, you came. There's this theory about blah blah blah. This thing that take a look at this. Is that popular in the in the digital arts world, Carly, or no? Reddit. Um, I mean, it's popular in like the game community, which I think overlaps a lot with the digital art community. So. Uh, to some extent, yes. I don't know that people are talking a lot about digital art specifically on Reddit. I think some, especially when it comes to um, specific like uh, industry stuff. But well, everybody, get out there, check out Neon Mob. I'm gonna have my collection dropping pretty soon. I'll be sure to let you know about that. But sign up, take a look, open some packs. Let us know what you think. Tag Neon Mob and Carly. I want to thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate the opportunity that you have given not just me but other artists because you did mention wanting to create an avenue for artists to maybe get a little revenue. And as a full-time practicing artist, it means a lot to us. And so I appreciate what you are doing for the art community. Awesome. I hope to do it a lot more going forward. <laughs> as not part of the art community, I still appreciate what you're doing for the art community. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate Thanks, that everyone. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Please subscribe uh, to, well, go on Neoma, but subscribe to uh, Art for Everyone podcast. Uh, we do it live most Thursdays, most Thursdays, uh, but our podcast usually drops most Mondays. I'm going to say most on everything, but uh, please subscribe, please share, and go tell your friends. Thanks for listening to the Art for Everyone podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with your hosts, check them out on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.